Well, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to continue on. Thank Bob for standing in for me last week. What a blessing. Out there on vacation in the, the desert. So beautiful out there. It was awesome. Going to remind you guys that at the table we got all kinds of information for you. We got the anchored book mark plus the back that says every man every day. Next week we're going to be talking about the, uh, the word of God, the enduring word, forever word. But also the Calvary distinctives. Got some great information there on what we believe and teach on Calvinism, what we believe and teach on homosexuality, alcohol, drugs, pastors in the politics, everything. All right there for you to have some information to find out what's going on and kind of what we think and believe and everything. So, but tonight, the title of the message tonight, A Proper Response. We got the notes up there. Woo! Dan's the man is on on cue there, out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 21, we're going to cover the, all these verses here, but it, this idea of a proper response. Now, of course, in light of what Peter explains to us in this being born again to a living hope, and of this great salvation that Bob talked about last week, um, what is the proper response? And I believe that Peter takes us through this passage and gives us an idea what is the proper way to respond to such a great salvation, this great love? And imagine, go with me for a minute here if you think about this. And, and maybe you've been involved in a situation like this where uh, you've seen um, somebody rescued from maybe it was a car wreck. And uh, the car is catching on fire and a person's in there and a bystander comes by and in the nick of time grabs that person, pulls them out of the wreckage. Just a nick. Five seconds later, the car explodes, really saved the person's life. Or maybe you've been down at the beach and you've seen someone out there. Maybe you've been out there yourself, you know, and you're out there horsing around, goofing around. You're too old to be swimming anyhow, but you're out there anyhow. And the riptide comes and you're being sucked out and you're getting tireder and tireder and tireder. And you're, and you're like, you're starting to wave. You're, ah, you help, help, whatever. And lifeguards run and you're going down, you're going down. But he comes and he comes in that last minute, throws the, um, the, the buoy to you and you, he rescues you and he takes you into the shore. The obvious proper response in those situations, would you be so thankful to the person who pulled you out of that car? So thankful to that lifeguard for saving your life. Now, that's the proper response, but let's take it a little bit further here. Really in context of what Peter's talking about, because... Really, actually, when we think about what God did for us in sending His Son, yeah, He rescued us. Yeah, He saved us. But let's, let's take the story a little bit differently. That person who saved the person from the burning car, as they pulled that person out and they saved them, they turned, the car exploded and a piece of the car hit that person in the head and killed him. He died saving that person's life. Or the lifeguard going out there, the waves so bad, crashing, out of control, and he, he hands the buoy off, but at the same time, he slips, and he loses his hand on it, and the waves take him under, and the lifeguard actually gives his life for the person that he rescued. See, that's what we're talking about here. That's kind of what Peter's in, in this idea of this proper response, because God, in sending his son... He didn't just save us. He didn't just rescue us. His son died for us in our place 
and took the penalty of our sin upon himself. He died doing the rescue. He died saving our lives. And so we see here this, this idea, this illustration, that, that Peter takes us from what God has done for us, you guys, sending his son to die, paying the price, rescuing us, giving the salvation, this great salvation that the prophets looked for, the prophets sought, that the angels desired to bend over and look into the salvation that we have received. So great a salvation. He takes us from that now to what we should do in response to so great a salvation. What are we to do? In this passage, I see many exhortations that are proper, that are the right things to do in response. Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, to walk worthy of the calling in which you have been called, guys. How have we responded? In light of what God has done for us, really the only response has to be a response that is worthy of so great a salvation. And so we see now, Peter is going to be talking about our conduct. And let me ask you the question, how has your response been to so great a salvation, to the salvation that God has given you? Has it been, oh my gosh, Lord, so thankful. Lord, praise you. Lord, you've changed my life. And, and you're, you've responded in such a way that everything in your life has changed and people can see it. Or is it in such a way that's like, yeah, thanks, Lord. Appreciate the help. But I got it from here. How has your response been in, so light, of, in light of so great a salvation? And if you've been thankful and you've been grateful, has it been demonstrated by your actions? Have you lived your, your life in such a way that is worthy of this salvation? Now, understanding, guys, that our salvation was free and we cannot work, we cannot do anything. And my response to this salvation doesn't change my salvation. But my response to this salvation should be, as Peter's going to tell us, man, guys, you need to walk in such a way that not only can God see it, but the world can see this response. That's what we're talking about here. Maybe you don't even know what it looks like. How do I walk worthy? What is the proper response? I think Peter in our passage, he gives us some insight of what it looks like, and he speaks to this word of our conduct, how we should act our behavior. We know what that word means, of course, but it means a mode or standard of personal behavior, especially as based on moral principles, you guys. In this passage, Peter speaks of our conduct, how we are to conduct ourselves Three areas tonight in response to such a great salvation. Number one, conduct ourselves toward maturity, verses 13 through 16. Conduct ourselves in reverence. Bam, it's up on the screen. Conduct ourselves in love, brothers. All really as a proper response to this great salvation. So number one, verse 13, we conduct ourselves toward maturity, you guys. Therefore, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 
And so in this idea, we see here, there's a response, but we're to conduct ourselves towards maturity. And of course, his encouragement to the dispersed. Remember what he's talking about? Those who are in the midst of horrible trials. And of course, we understand, as we learn, the trials are needed. We don't want them, but they're needed, you guys. Because trials test our faith and trials build our faith. Resulting, of course, as we said, in praise, honor, and glory from God to us when we stand before him in heaven. Man, you made it. Man, you did a good job. You sucked it up. You held on. Your faith grew in the midst of these trials and these storms that came your way. James said it like this. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know you know that the test in your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. You guys that are new in the Lord, this is something that you're going to have to go through. This is something that you're going to experience. Those of us that are veterans, those of us that are older in the Lord, it's still not easy. It's still something that you look at and you're like, Lord, get me out of this trial. None of us are going there saying, man, I am so blessed to be going through this trial today. This is the greatest day. Oh, happy day. Another trial. No, we're crying out. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maturity, of course, means to be full grown, of full age, perfected, especially in mental and moral character. So how do we head towards maturity, guys, in response to these trials? In response, number one, we exercise self-control. Now, he uses a first century idea here of tucking in their robes and tucking them and wrapping them in such a way that these guys could run, using a belt so they could be prepared to run or fight. So the first thing is we exercise self-control. We gird up the loins of our minds. It means to prepare your minds, you guys, for action. Be ready, be alert, pulling your thoughts together to be under control. So the first question we got to ask, or the second question now, is how have people seen us in the midst of the trials that we are facing in a world that is upside down and out of control? Are we, guys, are, are, have, we, have we pulled our minds together, so to speak? Have we, have we girded up the loins of our minds? Can people see that? Are we exercising great self-control? He says to be sober means don't overreact to your, your situations or your trials. Be level-headed. Be calm. Be steady. Self-controlled. This is something we need to do when we're driving. Amen? I'm going to be sober. I'm going to be sober. I'm going down Crenshaw. I'm just going to cruise down Crenshaw. I don't care how many thousands of lights that I hit on Crenshaw. That's why I don't go on Crenshaw, because I can't be sober on that, that street. Don't overreact. Level-headed. Calm. And, of course, we know that self-control is the characteristic of someone who has matured. Babies, they have zero self-control. They're hungry, they're crying. They want something, they're whining. We know this. But as adult men, we exercise self-control. We're conducting ourselves towards maturity. Gird up the loins of your mind, Peter says. Be sober. But then also, he says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we exercise self-control, but also as we are maturing, we have no doubts about our salvation. You can't, you can't imagine how many people come to the front for prayer and 
they're praying about their salvation. Well, how many times, when do you get saved? Well, I've been saved about 20 times. What do you mean? Well, I, I feel like I keep losing my salvation. No, no, no. James said, told us not to doubt, not to be tossed to and fro, not to waver. Rest your hope on what? On the grace. Means to trust in the fact that it is by grace, God's grace, you're saved. Amen. You are saved by God's Thank grace. It isn't going to change. No matter how the devil lies to you. But when we doubt, we're just basically opening the door for the enemy. Because he comes in like a flood. Ah, ha, ha. See, no matter what, guys, we're going to make it to heaven by his grace. Peter talked about that. No matter how bad it is, God has it. He's the one who made our reservations, guys. He called up and hooked us up. You're set up. You're ready to go. You got your mansion in glory already. It's there. Man, we're not to be wishy-washy. We're not to be tossed to and fro by the things of this earth. Our inheritance is reserved, guys. So we exercise self-control, but we also have no doubts. We're pressing toward maturity here. We're conducting ourselves towards maturity. But also, number three, we strive for obedience. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Man, obedient children, you guys, means to go forward, not backwards. See, we were ignorant. We were ignorant in those days, the B.C. days. But now you know the truth. And Peter talked about this in chapter 4. This, is, this was what it was. It is therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves also that with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For, guys, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Anybody relate to that? Or was I the only one who was a crazy, out-of-control party and animal? Peter's saying, look at that, guys. Don't, look at, don't go back. Not conforming yourselves to the former. And tell me if there hasn't been a lot of pressure, a lot of pounding by the enemy in this day and age that we're in, the crazy spiritual warfare, challenging. Try, hey, guys, you know what? Man, what's, what, that beer's looking awfully good there. You, you, you walk by and someone's smoking that weed, and like, man, I remember, wow, oh, you know, and this, all these, these temptations the devil throws back at you, especially now. Man, we don't go back to that. We don't go back. We're going forward as obedient children, you guys. And obedience, of course, is proof that we know him. It is proof that we know him, that we have become his children. Because remember, guys, obedience leads forward. Forward to life, really to holiness. We'll get to that in a minute. Whereas disobedience leads backwards to death or sin. And when I'm obedient to the word, you guys, I'm moving from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. When I'm in the word, when I'm, when I'm taking it in, I'm going from milk to meat, you guys. And if you're not in the Word of God, then you're basically living off of milk because you come to the services and you're hearing someone else talk about the Word of God, but you're not in it. You're not having the meat yourself. You're not taking the taste of the ribeye. I'm telling you what, 
Looking at somebody else eat a ribeye doesn't do a thing for me. But baby, when I put my fork and knife in that ribeye and I take a bite, whoo, come on. <laughs> Maturity, you guys. The meat of the word. Obedience. And number four, guys, as we're striving towards maturity, we strive for holiness. We strive for obedience because we do the best we can. We're not going to be perfect, but also we're to strive for holiness. What does he say here? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Holy smokes. What is Peter talking about here? I mean, he's setting the bar, you guys. Holiness perfection, speaking of the fact that our conduct as a result of someone who is matured spiritually, we're moving forward. He establishes the standard. The standard is set, guys. Christ is, 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 is the one. We look at that. And yet, what is Peter talking about here? Man, I, I would prefer that this scripture wasn't even in the Bible. Because he's talking about, wait, in all your conduct, you guys, not just when you're at church, not just when you're, I mean, all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy, man. He's referring to a passage in Leviticus, Moses writing, speaking for the Lord, for I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and be holy as I am holy. Basically, Peter's saying that if you've come to know the Lord, as your living hope, the one who has given us so much, then it is only appropriate that we act like him. And when I act like him who is holy, what is my behavior supposed to be? Hey, you did pretty good there. Four of you guys know what I'm talking about. Holy. Holiness must be evidenced in my behavior, you guys. Holy cow. Heavy. And this holiness has to do with our conduct. My personal behavior before God and man. Now, for the most part, we do pretty good before man, huh? We're like, we do pretty good pharisaical stuff. We look pretty good on the outside. We come to church. Hey, brother, how you doing? Jesus loves you. Praise the Lord. Everything's good and everything. But understanding that it's before God as well, who knows every thought in this brain, who knows the intention of the heart, man. Don't you hate it when you get busted by God when he's like, those sayings come to my head? Oh, man, sorry about that, Lord. Before the Lord and God and man. But holiness, what is it? Moral and ethical wholeness or perfection, freedom from evil. And holiness is also rendered sanctification or godliness. And holiness is the one essential element of God's nature required of his people. I'm going to get to some good news here in a minute, guys, because I know I'm bumming you out because we're like, whoa, hold on a minute. But newsflash, though, in order to get to heaven, guess what? You got to be holy. Because Revelation tells us that ain't nothing unholy getting into the kingdom. You're not getting into the gates. So at this point in time in the study, none of us are getting in, Amen. Because none of us are holy in what we're talking about here. And this is where, again, God does the amazing, you guys. Because all of us know that we're not holy by any means. Man, but God, through His Son and the blood that was shed, 
has made us holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. According to Colossians 2, 21 and 23 and 22, we're not going to turn there. We're going to look at that here a little bit later. But guys, this is what we call positional holiness. I am holy because of what Christ did for me. I have my ticket punched for heaven. The blood has been shed. Man, thank you, Jesus. Can you say amen to that, brothers? Can you say amen? Okay. All right. Because we have a living hope and his name is Jesus, we're all holy, guys, in the sight of God because of Jesus' blood. But now, what Peter is talking about isn't positional holiness. He's talking about practical holiness. Something that I am to practice, you guys, to strive for, to walk towards immaturity. Because as it is written, to be holy. So, we, we can look at grace and say, yeah, God's got it all covered. I can act and live any way I want. Well, if that was the case, then this scripture wouldn't be there, would it? And there are people out there that tell you, just like almost ignore this passage because it's like, no, no, no. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's not really saying that you're supposed to try and be holy. He's, what, he's, what he's saying is he's pointing out to the fact that you're not holy, like reverse psychology here. You know, when the plain sense makes the most sense, Seek no other sense in exegeting the text of Scripture. The plain Scripture says, look, guys, we're to be holy. We're to be practical in our holiness. And so holiness means to us, number one, that we're to be set apart. And that's that word consecration. I and you, we belong to God. We've been bought by Him. I am His. While I'm on this planet, I am to do my best heading towards holiness. As I'm maturing, as I'm going forward, I'm never going to get there. I'm never even going to come close. But it doesn't let me off the hook. Why? Because I belong to God. Set apart. Number two, holiness means we do what God wants. It speaks of obedience. It speaks of a desire that, to do what is pleasing to Him, not pleasing myself. And isn't that the problem we live with, guys? This flesh just says, man, I'm thinking about that ice cream there at uh, Foster Fees right now as I look over at Albert. Whoa, baby. The flesh, the flesh, the flesh. The flesh sees, the flesh wants. And I'm to do what? I'm to deny the flesh. I'm to crucify the flesh. I'm to turn from the flesh. And in that process of turning from the flesh and denying the flesh, I'm heading towards holiness, guys, towards consecration, sanctification. And then, number three, we aspire to live a life of holiness. That's got to be in our hearts, guys. Do you desire to walk in holiness before the Lord? When you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you go anywhere, is it, is it as, as what was written on the turban on the head of the, 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 the hat for the priest? Holiness unto the Lord. Is that what is written there, you guys? And if that's the case, is that what people see? And if we're born again to this living hope, then in response to this hope, we are to live our lives representing him who is holy. No way around it, guys. We do the best we can. We leave the rest to God. But it's got to be in my heart. Do you desire holiness, guys? And I pray that there is that desire that is there for holiness. I pray that when you watch a TV program or you see a, a, whatever, something comes and it's just like, you get convicted and you get grieved by the Holy Spirit. That's like, that's not holiness. 
the words coming out of your mouth, the thoughts that are there, the stuff that you're doing, the stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing. That's not holiness, guys. And it's easy, not too hard to figure out, uh, that's not holiness. This is holiness, righteousness and truth. Amen? So we're pressing towards maturity, you guys, in proper response. Number two, in proper response, we conduct ourselves in reverence. Verse 17 through 19. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, this is killer, guys, conduct yourself throughout the time of your life, your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, idols is what he's talking about here, from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers. But verse 19, man, here it is. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Man. If you call on the Father, we all call on the Father. Who without partiality judges, man? Peter, I think, right, number one, he's sending out a, a bit of a warning here. Hey, you dispersed. Hey, you elect. Hey, you chosen by God. Hey, you Christian man out there. Don't let this go to your head. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God has chosen us for salvation. And, and, and we all like to feel like we're the favorite. I remember my mom had five kids. I was the youngest. And she always made me feel like I was her favorite. But she did a good job. Because she made my other brothers and sisters feel the same way. I wasn't the favorite. I just thought I was. And, and it's okay to feel that way with God because he loves you personally. But you know what? It's, it's, it doesn't give us a license to do anything we want. Man. Why? Because even though you're highly favored, you're going to stand before him at the last day to be judged not for salvation, but to be judged for your works. And I can imagine the guys that are thinking they got it all locked up. Lord, hey, here I am. Man, you know, me and you, we had it all going together. So I'm not even going to worry about this. We're going we're gonna to just pass on this one, right? Stand before me, son. We're going to talk about all the things in your life. Man, a bit of a warning, guys, because Peter, number two, he reminds them that they had nothing to do with this salvation. Knowing, he says here, verse 18, knowing, hey, if you call on God, man, while you're here, you're to conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. We're going to get to fear in a minute. He reminds them, though, knowing, though, knowing that they had nothing to do with salvation. They didn't, they, they didn't have anything Reminds them that what they learned from their fathers was useless in regards to salvation. It was aimless conduct, empty and fruitless, you guys. Salvation could not be bought or worked for or by my performance under the law. Absolute failure. Aimless conduct, you guys. No, no. Number three, Peter reminds them how their salvation was obtained. How their salvation, precious blood, you guys precious blood of a lamb, perfect, spotless, pure, holy. And when I read that, I just went right to Revelation chapter 4. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And read chapter 4 and 5 again, 
just about the proclamation and what's going to take place when we all get together there in heaven and we're worshiping the Lamb of God. Man, who gave himself for us. Precious blood, you guys. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, junk, silver and gold, the things of this earth, trash, and yet people would pay for salvation. Goodness. They would build, they would make idols out of these things, worship them. No, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh my gosh, this lamb of God given for us. That's my Jesus. Reminded me of that video we we had. Remember that video? That's my Jesus. That's my God. That's my Jesus. So number four, though, Peter says, because of all this, because of all this, guys, conduct yourselves throughout your time of the stay here in fear. Now, this word fear translated reverential awe, respect, and honor toward God means to have a reverential respect for this God who is not only our Savior, but also our Creator. It's not a fear based upon punishment or danger, but it's a respect for the God who holds my life in His very hands, brothers. He holds your life in His hands right now. What did Jesus say in Matthew 10, 28? Don't fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Man, because guys, we forget that God is a consuming fire. Turn three pages over to the left, to Hebrews chapter 12, three pages. That's all it is in my Bible. I hope it's the same in your Bible, because if not, you got the wrong Bible. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 28. See, we, we, we want to talk about the love of God, and we're going to talk about the love of God in the next point. But man, understand you guys. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with what? Reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Man. So why? Why do we want to? understand this and respect him because man you hear about the people that they call god the man upstairs the big kahuna the top dog i mean you know honestly um those those words should never come out of a true believer's mouth and me personally i believe when i hear people say that it just shows me they have zero true relationship with this holy and awesome god because it's like they're trying to bring god down to their level like like I'm a little bit above God. He's, he's, he's my big kahuna. He's a, no, 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 no. Why? Number one, the wise man fears the Lord, you guys. The wise man. And you understand this in Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? When I understand the true fear of the Lord, that's when I become a wise man. Because a wise man fears this God has reverential awe and respect and honor for who this God is. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Man, that's when wisdom comes. That's wisdom, guys. That is true wisdom. Man, having a serious, holy respect for this God that we serve. So the wise man fears the Lord, but number two, the humble man fears the Lord. Proverbs 22, 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor. 
I humble myself before this God. And that's the problem that we men have on this earth. That's the problem that man has on this earth. Man thinks that they've done all this and we've created all this, we've built all this. It's almost like the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. Man, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? Is this not the great company? Is this not the great business? Is it not the great whatever, whatever? No. No. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And I'm not saying that in a way that's false humility. That's the truth, you guys. How many of us would be here tonight if it wasn't for what God did in our lives? And yet what happens is we go through our Christianity, those who have been walking with the Lord long, and by the time we forget all the stuff that he did for us, and we come to this place, we're like, wow, look at the house that I built. Look at all this growth. Man, man, I got it going together here. You need to remind yourself every day that everything that you own, everything that you are, everything that's ever happened good in your life is because of Jesus. Man, the wise man fears the Lord, the humble man fears the Lord, but also the righteous man fears the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Here it is, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And you think of some of the men in the Bible who lost their fear of the Lord. I'm already at 8 o'clock, and we got like, Another hour to go here, brother. So. <laughs> That's all right. Dodger game's over. Amen? <laughs> but some of the guys in the Bible, you think of Solomon, you think of Saul, you think of Samson. The one Achan, you know the story of Achan, right? Achan, he was hurting for certain. It's a story when um, Joshua and, and the children of Israel came and they, they took Jericho down. And God told them when they captured everything, he said, don't take any of the accursed things. And there's a list of what these accursed things were. It was a garment, it was a robe, with some of the silver and gold. Well, they go out to, the, to fight the, um, in, at the battle at Ai. They get you know, kicked in the buns. And they're crying out, what happened, what happened? God said, hey, someone took. And so they go through this whole process, and it comes to Achan. Achan lost it. Like, somehow, he's just like, dude, they made it so clear, don't take these things. He lost his fear of the Lord. And I've seen this happen, guys modern-day men of God who lose their fear of the Lord, and, and, and I've used Bob Coy as an illustration, and thankfully something still good is coming out of Bob Coy's life because we're still learning from his failure. Bob Coy lost the fear of the Lord. How else can you do what you, he did in the pulpit and say that you don't? He did. He did, guys. So dangerous. Because when you lose the fear of the Lord, guys, you're going to fall in sin. It's just a matter of time. Now, you may not fall as hard as Bob did. It may not be as dramatic and sensational as his fall was. But you're still going to fall. We conduct ourselves, guys, in reverence in the fear of the Lord. Number three, though, lastly, we conduct ourselves in love. And this is where it turns a bit for us. Verse 20, 21. He indeed, you guys, he indeed, Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Remember that. For you. For me. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
And guys, I believe that because of our humanity and being men especially, I think we, we go through personal, private struggles, I think, sometimes, truly believing that, that people do love you. Even your wives, your kids. Yeah, they say they do, but because of the spiritual warfare, the enemy coming, you sometimes there's that doubt, and it's like, man, does my wife really love me? Do my kids really love me? Or they just want me because, you know, I got some money or something. That's kind of silly for them to want and love me that because that's, that ain't happening. But anyhow, and the same thing happens, happens with God. We start doubting God's love for us because the number one lie of the enemy is how can God love you because of what you've done, the sin, whatever it is. And the enemy comes and lies. We mess up, we blow, we say things, we do things, we think things. And the enemy comes, he pounds us. How could God love you? And I believe that Peter, he, he knew this about the dispersed. Because think about these guys. They gave their life to Christ. They did what they thought was right. And what was the result of that happening? Persecution. Death. Cast out. Castaways. And, and if they were Jewish, of course, <clears throat> they were kicked out of their family. If you became a Christian... You were disowned. You were, they, they treated you as if you had died. They had a funeral for you. Man. And imagine how the enemy pounded. He's saying, how could God love you? Look at this. Look at You think that God really loves you when he allowed this to happen in your life? You lost your homes. You lost your houses. You lost your, your place to live, your community. You've been dispersed. You're out, your own, on your own, wherever. Man. Peter, in these verses, I think he lays out the foundation for God's love for them and for us as believers. And of course, it's all because of Jesus and his love. Man, because the devil comes and he pounds. But I see this as God saying, hey, look at this, look at this. Number one, he foreordained. He's a foreordained savior. Look at what God did. He indeed was foreordained. I see this, these two verses as God is saying, hey, this is how much I love you. He foreordained it. He had this plan. Before the foundation of the world, before creation, God had the plan for our salvation in place, you guys, as a demonstration for his love for us. It wasn't just happenstance. It didn't just happen, well, you know, hey, I got an idea. No, he planned it, you guys. And it demonstrates our love. Imagine this, and this is some, an illustration that came. It was perfect. When I was on vacation, the last night of our stay, I decided, you know what? We're at the Hyatt Regency out there in Indian uh, Wells there, and they got the hotel regular, but they had these villas. And me and my wife would go for walks at night. We'd walk through the villas next to the golf course. Man, these things look sweet. Private patios with fire pits and jacuzzis and everything. And so I'm looking, I'm thinking, I'm starting thinking, man, I wonder how much, I wonder how much I, so I go and I start planning I start figuring this thing out. I start trying to figure out how I can come up with some extra money to go over. And what I did is I just, okay, we canceled the night in the hotel this room. And so it wasn't that much to switch over to the villa. <clears throat> so I planned it all as a total surprise, worked it out with the front desk, and we came up with this excuse that someone had dropped off something at the front desk for us. So Cheryl, we got to go check out the, the front desk. All the while, though, in the meantime, I, while she was at the pool, I went upstairs, packed everything, <laughs> forgot a couple things, 
packed it all up, had the bags all ready for the bellman. We got to the front desk, and at the same time, the lady at the front desk who was working with it sent the bellman to the room to get our bags to take them over to the new place. We go to the desk there. She's got this package for us. What is this? Stofo. We open up, and it's room keys for room 606. Well, what's 606? What? These are the villa. What? And the lady was kind of, she did a great job kind of playing. She's like, well, you know what? Sometimes they do this. You know, maybe it's just like, you know, they want to show you the villa to maybe give you an idea what it looks like. Maybe next time you come, whatever, whatever. So, well, we got the keys. Let's go check it out. Planned the whole thing, guys. It went off perfectly. She was clueless. We walk in there, and all the lights were on as if someone was in there, like it was being um, shown as a model or something. We're like, hello? This place, two bedrooms, huge. Almost as big as our house, this villa was. It's crazy. We go outside, the jacuzzi lights on, everything. It's like, this place is amazing. We're in there five minutes. No one's there. There's a knock at the door. Helicopter. There's a knock at the door. I open the door. It's the bellman with their bags. And then that's when my wife's like, what is going on here? Did you do this? Man, I'm telling you what, guys. That one will last a long time. That will get me out of the doghouse for a long time. But the point I'm making is I planned it. I demonstrated my love for my wife. I planned it. And God planned our salvation, you guys. It wasn't a second-hand chance. He's a foreordained Savior. Acts 2.23, Luke records Peter saying it this way. He, him, Jesus, being delivered by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God planted you guys. He's a foreordained Savior. All for you because of your love. Peter says he was manifest for you guys, for your sake, for you, as a demonstration of love. Number two, he's a risen Savior. He's a foreordained Savior, but he's also a risen Savior. Again, God's showing us his love for us in the resurrection. Victory over sin and death. We will never die. We will spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. He was, he was the means by which we could be saved. And God demonstrated his power over sin and death. And with the promise of eternal life to all, all who believe, brothers, all for you because of his love. And number three, he is a precious savior. And I'm pulling this out of verse 19. Peter used the word precious to describe Jesus. Amazing. Here, you see the work of God in Peter's life, the big, burly, bulky fisherman, and he's calling Jesus precious, precious, precious. Three times in chapter 2, he says that. Chapter 2, verse 7, Peter says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is what? He is precious, brothers. He is precious because he shed his blood. And his blood is precious because of the priceless effect that it has on believers, brothers, in bringing salvation, bringing heaven. To Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, we talked about it, but we're going to read the verses. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made, here it is, guys, having made peace through the blood of his cross and you. 
and me and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Here it is, guys, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. This is how God sees you, brothers. This is why when we get to heaven, he's not looking at us, dudes. Because if he looks at us, what does he see? Filthy rags, man. He sees Jesus. We are covered in the blood, guys. He sees his son. That's how we're getting in. Man, the precious. He's a precious savior, brothers. Man, holy, blameless, and above reproach. What? Me? You? Because of the blood. All for you because of his love. Man, because of Jesus. So some application for us tonight, guys. Number one, holiness. Holiness, guys, is not a destination. Holiness is a journey. It's a process of sanctification that we go through in this life. Continuing the day you got saved to the day the Lord takes us from this earth when we enter heaven. And when we enter heaven, when these bodies are put off, which are unholy, unrighteous, when those things are put off, spiritually we enter into heaven, perfection. No sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But while we wait for that glorious day, guys, every day I have to choose again. I have to choose to walk in holiness. It's not an automatic. Wouldn't it be nice if you just push a button? I'm going to push the holiness button today, dear. Walk in holy. No. There is no button. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's the Holy Spirit controlling us. It's us allowing the Holy Spirit to have full reign, surrendering, giving him control. Surrendering our will to His. Man, and a big part of this in our day and age, the problem, guys, is this area of sexual purity. That's unholiness, you guys. To be free from sexual immorality. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, we know this, guys, we know this. He talks about this. Talks about holiness in his passage of Scripture. And and brothers, it's a problem in the church. It's a problem for Christian men. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, we know this. Finally, then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. We should press towards maturity. We should go forward, guys. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, guys. What is the will of God? Your sanctification being set apart. And here's what it's for. That you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. This is that, that discipline, that self-control. Not in passion or the lust, like Peter talked about in our past, like the Gentiles who did not know God, that no one should take advantage or, def- or defraud his brother in this matter, speaking of the fact that no believer should mess around with another believer's wife. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, guys, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects us, does not reject man, but God who has also given us the Holy Spirit. And guys, in looking at this passage, my exhortation in this area of holiness is we got to turn away. we got to look away. 
We've got to turn off the junk. And, and right here, right here, guys, it's got to get turned off. It's got to be ton, done away with. We've got to say to ourselves, I'm making a choice to walk in holiness today. I'm not going down this path, path of sexual immorality. I'm not messing around with that girl. I'm not flirting with that girl here. I'm not doing the things that the world is doing, that is promoting. No, guys. Holiness. Conduct yourself in holiness, guys. The number two, though, application, fear the Lord. And, of course, we know it's translated reverential awe, respect, and honor for God. And, guys, this is a huge problem in the church today that I see. There is a serious lack of the fear of the Lord. Demonstrated by how? First off, doing what I want to do. I am what I am, as Popeye said. Doing what I want to do. Number two, ignoring God's word. We're not doers of the word. We're just hearing the word. Number three, seriously here, taking advantage of the grace of of God, you guys. Dangerous thing to do. Dangerous place to be. And then thinking that because nothing happens when I sin, that God's, we must be okay with it. You know, there's a, there's a serious problem with younger Christian couples nowadays that you ask them, are you pure? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're pure. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, you are. And then you start digging a little bit deeper, you start discerning or whatever, and, and it turns out that, that these couples, they're, having, they're, they're practicing sexual stuff, but they're thinking that because there is no actual act, that, well, we're not, we're not having fornication. We're doing everything and all the stuff, but we're just not that one little part there. No fear of the Lord, you guys. Scary place to be. And of course, this is, this is a perfect example in the picture of the children of Israel. Man, they had lost their fear of the Lord. Samuel, talking to them at the coronation of Saul, he tells them right in front, he says, hey, verse 12, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, if you fear the Lord, what does he say? Serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the command of the Lord then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. And as you read the Old Testament, back and forth, back and forth, the children of Israel completely lost the fear of the Lord, worshiping and serving idols. Solomon himself, who wrote the Proverbs, my goodness, what was he thinking, as I said the last time? I think it was the first study. Man, completely disregarding God, not fully serving the Lord. All kinds of wives intermarrying, disobeying God's word flatly, and then having his sons walk through the fire, sacrificing his sons in the fire, worshiping these other gods. Serious lack of the fear of the Lord, guys. Man, be mindful, brothers. Take some time to sit before the Lord and ask him to show you, man, remember, it's, we're not talking fear of like being beat down and whipped on. Man, am I honoring the Lord? Am I respecting him? Am I, do I have reverential awe for who he is? Or the grace of God, eh, 
you know what? No. The number three, love of God here, guys. The love of God. My brothers, I implore you, I beg you, be persuaded, you guys. Be fully convinced of the love that God has for you. And, and sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a work, it's a discipline to remind yourselves, to, to look at the scriptures, to read them and, rem, and, and remember that he loves you guys. He loves me with an unconditional love, with a love that cannot change, that cannot be built upon by my performance. Yes, we're talking about works here in a sense, you guys. We're talking about my conduct. But remember that if tomorrow I fall flat on my face and my conduct is horrible and I completely blow it and I sin and I mess up, it's not, God's not looking at me going, well, I used to love you. I don't love you anymore. Man, how can you're, what kind of, what kind of, no, that's us. That's human love. That's, that's our problem. That ain't God. That ain't God. Romans chapter 8, guys, verse 31 through 39. You need to read that over and over and over and over again. Get it in your heart because Romans 38 and 39 says, Peter, I mean, Paul's saying, I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Colossians chapter, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says the same thing, guys. What does he tell them? He's praying for them that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height. To know, guys, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, be persuaded, brothers. Let nobody, Jesus there in speaking to the disciples in John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now what? Abide in that love, you guys. Abide in that love. Live in that place of love knowing that he loves you guys, and don't move from there. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Don't listen to his lies. Listen to God. Listen to God. And some, like I said, it's hard sometimes because we look at, we, you know, if, if our lives were perfect and we were holy, well, I know God loves me, but, yeah, you know, sometimes I fall a little bit short. Doesn't change God's love. Doesn't change his love for us, you guys. Listen to God. Believe what he says and enjoy your Christianity. As you bask in his love and, and joy over your life because he sings over you guys. So these, these are all things that are, that are a proper response to this living hope. That we would conduct ourselves, guys, towards maturity. Peter made it super clear. Man, hey, don't go backwards. We're going forwards. Gird up the loins. Self-control. Exercise that self-control. Be mindful of the works of the enemy. And look forward to what he's going to do in our hearts and lives. But also, like, guys, to conduct yourself in reverence. Man, he's a holy and awesome God. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he sent his son for us. But he is God. Is my, does my behavior represent that? Or do I just take it for granted? Ah, God's grace. God's got it. God's got it. Big man upstairs going to take care of that one for me. No. And then, of course, conduct yourself in love, living Knowing that he loves you guys. 
overall. Next week, we're going to talk about the Word of God. We're going to pound the Word of God because we're men of the Word. For brothers tonight, again, how is our conduct? How is my response to God saving my life? Is it a good response? Is it a proper response? Things to think about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these brothers showing up tonight. I pray, Lord, most of all, that in everything that was said tonight, they would be encouraged, Lord, in your love. The Lord, as we recognize, um, man, we fall so short. And yet, Lord, you're there to pick us up. You're there to correct us. And, of course, knowing what it says there in Hebrews in, in chapter 12, that, man, that when we're chastised, we're corrected. It's only because you love us, Lord. So, Father, bless, we pray. Bless the guys in their group time. Encourage the fellowship as socially distanced as they can be. And again, Lord, all of us keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, looking full into his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.